0: between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So it is uh, really, 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 really good to be um, back here this morning. I had a couple people already asked me when I got here, hey, are you preaching this morning? I said, I'm going to give it a shot. I think the last comment I got was, well, uh, if, if it's not working out, David, I think you've been instructed to tell me to sit down and. And so I'm going to give it a shot, Um, but yeah, it it is, it's been a good long while since uh, I've been able to be here and and spend this time with you guys. Uh, And maybe as we get started, I just, I don't know, just praying through this week and preparing and thinking about um, just after many, many weeks of stepping back in in after being gone, um, maybe just to, to try to remind you a little bit about Sulphur Community Church. Uh, one of the things that we work really, really hard for is to be very simple. Um, you've heard me say that before, that we work really, really hard uh, to stay a simple uh, church. Um, and, and it's really about—and when I say simple, uh, I don't mean just like, um, uh, uh, like plain or vanilla or anything like that. I'm really uh, just wrapping our, our, our hearts around this idea that we exist to make much of God in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's what we're about. And so maybe to break that down a little bit and just say at, at surface level, we're about three things. We're about loving God, we're about loving people, and we're about reflecting Jesus. And so everything we want to do, we want to wrap it around those things. It sounds pretty simple, and it, and it, really, it really is. Uh, it's, it's about working, uh, allowing Christ to work in our hearts um, and, and, and constantly walking in repentance and renewal. Um, so that we can experience uh, joy, something that we're basically, uh, the banner of today's message is going to be about, uh, so that we can experience uh, ultimate joy and satisfaction in who He is. Uh, And what that does is overflow into a a great, great love for others. Um, And and so that's what we want to see as we uh, fall more and more in love with Jesus, that we fall more and more in love with people, uh, those who live near us and those who live far from us. Um, that they would know who Jesus is and that they would know that that's their ultimate source to tap into for joy, um, not all these other things. Uh, so simply loving God, loving people, and reflecting Jesus. Another way that uh, I know that Ashley and I have used this term a lot is pushing back darkness, right? Uh, we're, we, are, we are to be lights in, in a dark world, um, and so we should always be pushing back darkness. Uh, even though the darkness hates the light uh, and does not want to come into the light, we are, we are carrying those torches. We are uh, walking uh, with, with God's name on us, um, and so we're to be a light in this uh, broken place. Uh, and so that's what it looks like to reflect Jesus. Um, so simply, those things, that's why we exist. And all of our efforts, all of our, um, all of our work and all of our striving using outreach Using different events and things that we do, uh, going on mission trips, uh, doing different things—all of those are in an effort to fight for joy. Right? It's not—it's not an effort to boost our attendance here. That's not what we're—it's not what we're about. We're really not. That's not—it's not one of the things on our priority list. It's not about getting you to sign up to be a member at a certain, at, at this church or at another church or however that works. It's not about increasing membership. Um, and it's, it's, it's not really to get you to adhere to some religious mandates and some, some rules and a list of things. Like, that's, not, that's not why we exist. That's not why we do what we do. We're always on a quest to fight for joy, our joy as well as the joy of, of others. And so... As we pray and as we preach, uh, what, what, what we're asking God for and what we're working for is that you would see and that you would savor and that you would taste um, the love of Jesus, and that you would find that that's where your joy and all of your satisfaction, that's where it comes from. Uh, that's the ultimate source of all that. And, it, and in our text today, we're going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, Trent read that for us, and uh, in, in starting in verse 22, and we're picking up again, which is Probably the last um, exhortation I guess, that we would get from John the Baptist, um, and what you need to pick up on what we 're going to get to in the in the coming weeks uh, and, and, and the, the gospel writer John here would, would even allude to this a little bit, um, it, things, aren't, things are fixing to go south for John the Baptist here, uh, and they're already starting to kind of diminish, and so he shouldn't be feeling the way he felt if you if you followed along with what. The, the dialogue he was having with his disciples, uh, he knows what's coming, and his disciples see kind of what's going on, and their reactions are a little bit different, and so he shouldn't be feeling this way, like, oh, man, this is, this is one of my most joyous moments in my life. Like, he shouldn't be there knowing what's coming his way, and so he's been preaching in the wilderness this message of faith and this message of repentance, and as he's been doing this, like, okay, get it, like, the Holy Spirit has been on him since he's been in the womb, Right, and so this is like he's 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 done a a, a, a great job of walking in um, his purpose that 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 he was designed for, and droves of people are attracted to him. They're attracted to this message that he preaches, and so he's been somewhat of a rising star uh, to a point where he's he's gaining the attention and notoriety of people that actually matter in society. Right, those elites uh, who, who who people hold at a at a high level. Uh, they, they kind of start turning an ear to him and saying, hey, what's going on with this? This guy's he's kind of gaining a following. Uh, he's, he's making an impact. And so as this is going on, and more and more people are going out to hear this message and to see all about this John the baptizer and what's going on here and this message of repentance that he preaches, the, the more that, that that happens, John uh, does something that, that people who are on the top of the popularity list, they they. they commonly don't do this. They start saying, hey, it's, 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 about, it's about them. It's not about me. It's about that guy. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. So when we get to the top of the popularity list, uh, or when we start being liked by many, many people, a lot of times for us, it kind of fuels that, um, that self-worth and that uh, self-importance. Uh, and, and so we want to try to maintain that. And John the Baptist does exactly opposite. He says, no, 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 it's not about me. It's not my game. It's not my show. It's, it's about Jesus. It's about him. He's the one. He's the one. Behold him. He's the one. And so he's been doing this as he, um, as he realizes that he is fixing to experience uh, more abandonment, isolation, imprisonment. Like he knows these things are coming, and he still... Um, he still has this attitude. Look with me at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, b- because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison, so the gospel writer now is giving us a, just a little hint of what's to come in, in this story. Now, a discussion ro- arose between some of, the, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, "Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him." So we see in this in this first part here in this text that uh, John's disciples are being real petty. Uh, they 're displaying some jealousy about about john 's ministry and about jesus 's ministry and and isn 't it odd that we still experience a little bit of that today in the church we, like we, we go through this in the church today where um, one ministry or one church is attracting more people than than another and and we somehow kind of um, we'll see that and, and Maybe, maybe it's a confession of mine. Maybe it's just me personally. Uh, there will be times if I don't pray against that that I'll maybe long for that. Like I will think that that's, like, that's what success looks like in ministry and, and, and to see a lot. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, it, it's a good thing uh, when you have many people uh, having a head-on collision with the gospel every week. And so the more people, great. That, that's wonderful. But again, I want to remind you uh, that's not our end goal our end goal is not to just see a bunch of people, attract a bunch of people. That's not, that's not the point. The point is seeing lives transformed by the gospel, seeing people uh, being tapped into Jesus. And that's, that's what we want to see. And so we have to watch and pray for this kind of attitude um, to, to see that, that maybe, maybe another church or maybe another ministry or maybe another uh, church leader even is, is, is attracting more followers or more people. Um, And we would, we might become jealous of that. I might become jealous of that. So it's always having a watchful eye and a watchful heart and praying against that. Because here's the deal, man. Nothing, nothing hinders kingdom advancement more than Christians who are jealous of one another. Like that just stifles kingdom advancement. And and I love what the Apostle Paul wrote. He was kind of singing the same song that John was singing here in Philippians chapter one. He says, "I want you to know, brothers." That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed That in that I rejoice. So, so that's the attitude. You know, what you see here in, in, in this ministry, in this church, uh, the way we do ministry uh, may look a little different than the church down the street. But you know what? I'm for any church that's proclaiming Christ. I'm, I'm for any church because it's a kingdom thing. We're a people uh, that, that, that uh, I always say it like this, Jesus is coming back for one church. He's coming back for one church. And so we're all to be working together uh, toward kingdom advancement as long as Christ is proclaimed. Okay, so all these other things, all these ministry ideas and... and uh, uh, it, just different outreach ideas and mission-mindedness. However, that may look, those are all peripheral, right? We're we're about putting Christ in the center, and and that's a place where we can work from. That's a place that I can partner with people on, and so that's where Paul was here, and that's what John said. John the Baptist is saying this. He's like, hey, man, he is the center. He is the center of the story. He is the one, and that's we're just we're just here to point to him and so we've accomplished that and so that's why my joy is complete so let's be ready think about other brothers and sisters that you know who are gathering in other places this morning who who serve and lead faithfully in other uh, church families let's be ready to celebrate grace wherever it may fall let's just be ready to celebrate grace wherever it falls. And while his disciples are losing their minds, John, the baptizer here is, is you know, here, they're, they're looking at him like, hey man, our party's dying down. Like this thing's kind of winding down. Everybody's going over there to see Jesus. Uh, and, and, and here we are. And they're just like, the attendance is declining here. What's going on? And they were, had a little bit of problem uh, with that. And John knows, he says, hey, you know, my purpose has been fulfilled. This is what I was made for. Like, this is why I was born. He knew his purpose, and he stuck to his purpose to the very end. He said, so, so his joy, obviously, is Complete, and so this is where we're this is where we're headed today. And so, if you are a note taker, uh, you can write this part down. If if you don't, if you have a device or whatever, or you don't have anything, just grab a pen and reach over to your neighbor's Bible or their notepad and just write this down on theirs because this is very important for us to know today. That fighting for your joy—that's something that we we exist to do—is to fight for joy, ours as well as others. And so, fighting for your your joy isn't connected to your circumstance. It isn't connected to what's going on around you right now or what you're going through right now. That's not where your source of joy comes from. And I know we struggle with this. I struggle with this, that I sit, okay, here's my current deal. Here's my current situation. And so I'm down here today. And then on, on, on days where my circumstances are looking pretty bright, well, I might be up here today. And, and it, that's, that's the point of today's message. That's the point. That's a picture of what we get with John the Baptist here. Um, you know, as most of you know, I'm just coming off of this extremely long project uh, at work. And I've, especially for the last couple of months, I've just com- been completely absent from the world, from society. Uh, I told our, our, our managers at work and everything that, you know, they need to probably uh, put us through like some kind of transition plan, put us in a halfway house for a little while before we just get back into society uh, because it's been that way. But I'd spent nearly three years. Uh, with others uh, developing plans for this project, right? And so we're, uh, I'm talking about down to the, to the nth degree of detail uh, of how we were going to execute this project and how we were going to see it through to completion. And like most <laughs> things, when, it, when the rubber met the road, everybody lost their minds, Like everybody lost their minds and they forgot that we spent like three years planning. And so we had plans. And so there was like, ah, plans, go. And and so for me, for some people, they work well in that situation. And for me, uh, if you know me well enough, if we have a plan, we're sticking to it. Like, unless it's going to lead us to uh, death or something, well, this is the plan, and this is what we're going to stick to. It might take a little longer, whatever, but everybody knows what's going on, so we're all going to go this way. And so, for someone like me, it took some adjustment, right? There were some hurdles that we had to cross. And so, you could see where um, some days, man, I, I wanted to be, some days I was frustrated. I makes you know... I'll have confession time in my small group, uh, but some days were not so good, right? Um, And and then other days when things were, seemed to be very disorganized and chaotic and crazy and like the sky was falling around us, man, I could find myself just kind of whistling and singing and just, and and people like, heck, man, what's, how are you able to do that? This, you know, this place is crazy right now. It's chaos. Um, And those are the days that I felt closer to Jesus than the other days right? And so it's like the, the closer I was to Jesus on those days, walking with him on those days, um, I knew where my joy came from. It didn't come from those circumstances that I was right in the middle of, right? And so that's, uh, so maybe maybe just to say I, I'm glad you came today to hear me preach to myself, because the rest of this is kind of about, you know, talking me through some of these things, and I hope they're helpful to you. But um, if you're a note taker, uh, one of the One thing even bigger than the last note you took was that, and I'm going to remind you of this because I've already said this before, that all we have, everything that we have, all things are a gift from God. All things are a gift from God. Look at verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, we might not see them as gifts at times, uh, and Sometimes it takes us to get on the back end of a story for us to know that it was a gift. Uh, right in the middle of the mess, it's probably not so much a gift. It doesn't feel like one. But all things that we have are a gift from God. John, John's disciples, uh, they came to him and it was, you know, was telling him all about how successful he was. Hey man, you, you, you know, you kept saying you were the, the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And like, you did it, man. Like when he showed up, I mean, everything was in place. You was, you, I mean, you were faithful all the way to the end of this thing. And guess what, John? It's, it's backfired on us now. Like this plan that you wanted, it's backfired on us now. Because look, we're kind of left high and dry here. Look across the way over there. Jesus, he's got all those people. He's, you know, all His disciples are baptizing all these people. And, and no one's coming here anymore. This, is, this party is kind of dying out here. And so we have this tendency. Um, remember, all things are a gift from God. Everything that we have is a gift from God. And we have this tendency... Um, that when we get those gifts, we white knuckle them, that we grip them with all of our might, right? We do that. You think about those gifts that you've been given from God and you hold on to those. And when God would try to take those gifts from us, uh, we, we become angry, right? We become angry as if we earned the gift, as if we did something to, to, to receive. Like, I worked for this, God, I earned this. This is mine. You can't have it. Why are you trying to take this from me? Like, that's that's our attitudes at times. And, and, and I'll tell you just uh, on a personal note, like God has called us, my family, to, to some things that at times we weren't faithful and we didn't trust God with our children. Like I said, God, all of my life and all of my heart, everything I have is yours. Um, but uh, this' is my kids, I, w- I want to make sure that they're, you know, taken care of and that they're, uh, uh, this isn't their choice, this is our choice. We don't want them to... Um, have to feel some of the backfire from our choices. We want them to experience and make their own decisions and things like that. And so uh, it took some some wrestling and some battles with God before he finally just kind of sat Ashley and I down and said, look, there's no possible way that you love your kids more than I do. And so it was for us to have faith to believe that, right? To believe that God does love my children way more than I could possibly ever dream of loving my children. And so if he's always out for His glory and for our, our good. Like, we believe that about ourselves, but could we believe that for our children? So, so, see, our children are a gift from God, right? And we wanted to say, God, you can touch every part of our life, but don't touch, don't touch their life uh, in a way that's going to shake them to the core unless they say yes and they respond to you in their own hearts. And so, we had to, we had to deal with that. And so, everything is a gift from God, every breath you take, right? Every dollar that you have every family member every friend is a gift from God and it's not meant for you to try to keep and to hold on to as if it's something that you earn it's your property because it's not none of it belongs to you these are all given to you not on your own merit but as a as grace as as Uh, Methods of God showing His grace to us, giving us these gifts, and they belong to Him, and and He will give them them to us for a season, sometimes for a very long season, sometimes for a very short season. But nonetheless, they're His, and they're on loan to us. And so when we clench our hands around those gifts, we're saying, God, you can't have this back. This is mine. I own it. Right? And I hope you see... um, I hope you see the, the arrogance in that. And so what I love about what God's doing in this church, um, there's, there's, the list can go on and on, um, but I just love what he's doing here. I really do. Um, it, it would be perfectly okay with me if God would just leave me here till I die. You know, just till I'm, till I'm dead of old age. I, I, I would be grateful if he would allow that to happen. Um, and for whatever reason, God has continued to pour out His grace on this church family, uh, constantly doing that. And here's the deal. It's not because we have some great marketing strategy. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, because, it's not because we have sharp organizational skills. It's not because we have the most dynamic leadership. Hey, we've never done this before. We have zero experience at this. So it's not because any of those things are in place, or that we have any of those things. For whatever reason, God has just breathed out His grace on this church, and He's given us all a pretty good seat to watch it go down. And so this is good, and it's a reason to celebrate God and, and what He's doing here. Uh, but let me say this. There's no guarantee that it'll always be this way. Like, it's no guarantee that it'll continue to be just this Mighty move of God experiencing His grace in every step and every action and every word, every deed that we do, it could could go away quickly. God could shut this whole thing down whenever He chooses to. Right? And so the question is now, would you be okay with that? Like, would you be okay with it if God just said, hey, this thing is over, my grace is going here now? Because that's a tough question. Would we still be able to sing the song, like that? We sovereign God, from whom all blessings flow. Would we be able to sing that song if all of His grace and blessing was pulled off of us today? If this whole thing got shut down today, would He still be good? Would He still be a good God? There's there's two um, there's two theological camps that we need to be aware of and pray for our hearts to be guarded from. Um, and one of them is a, a, a prosperity theology. It's, it's, a, it's a theology, uh, a, a, um, a study of who God is, and it can usually be found on your cable TV programming. Uh, you can turn to any one of those. Most of the time, they're all about the same. Um, and this is where God would respond with blessing and favor based on your obedience based on your faithfulness. So if you're faithful, if you're obedient, if you walk in obedience, if you walk in these things, then God's just going to pour out His blessing on you. And guess what? It's going to be to a point where others who don't believe in Jesus are going to see that and want that. And that's not, that's not a good theology. Because I know a lot of people who love Jesus dearly and who've just had to walk through some dark days. Where you would look at them as a Job and say, seriously, like, is God showing favor on this person? You see, God doesn't work in our circumstances, right? And, and so our joy and our satisfaction and all of our peace shouldn't come from our circumstances. But that tends to be where we, where we live. That tends to be where we're at. And so there have been passionate, well-intended people Who've seen the error of this TBN theology, of this prosperity theology, where you know you give to get kind of thing, uh, and they've gone the complete opposite direction into this uh, poverty theology, right, where where it says. Uh, if you really love Jesus, you know what you wouldn't drink that latte. You know what, that you wouldn't you wouldn't go spend six dollars on a cup of coffee if you really loved Jesus. If you didn't sell everything you have and give it away, you're just really kind of a rookie Christian. And so we've 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 gone on both ends here, and and me personally, I don't believe that either one of them are in the right place. Either one of them in the right place. We uh, here's the deal, everything. That we have, you look at John's response, everything that we have, everything comes from God, and we are stewards of what He's given us. We're stewards of the little that He's given us, and we're stewards of the much that He's given us. So, wherever you are, and however God has um, decided to pour out His grace on you, you're to be a steward over that. You're to be a manager over that, a keeper over that. And so whatever it is, even, even in your hurts, like you, you're, like God, again, it may not look like a gift today, but in, in the future, I pray that you would be able to see it as God sanctifying you and drawing you closer to Him and drawing you closer to where ultimate joy is found. But all those things are, are but gifts from God that we are to steward. We don't own anything. It's... it's it's all his. Everything that God gives you is for you to steward. It's not for you to own and to keep and to hold with a tight fist. So if he blesses you with something, you're not to take credit for it and start acting like it's yours, right? Like, don't, don't do that. It's not, it's not yours. And if he pulls something away from you, as we're seeing here with John and his story, we should have the same response that John had. And here it is. It's right here. It's right here open hands. God, you put whatever you want here and you take whatever you want from here. My hands are open. Put whatever you want in there because everything comes from you. Everything. And and if, and if it, you decide to take it away, then that's fine. It's yours anyway. It never was mine to begin with. So, to have open hands toward Jesus. And John realized that he didn't have this Opportunity, because he was so awesome and so great, and he knew scripture backwards and forwards. Like he didn't, he he knew that that's not how he arrived in the spot he was in. That it didn't even come from obedience. Remember, this was his calling while he was in the womb. So it wasn't this. It wasn't this. I behave this way, and God's going to react to me this way. Like he knew what his purpose was, and he remained faithful to his purpose. He realized that it's a gift from God. It was given to me in the womb for a season, and now it is being taken away from me. And his attitude, praise be to God, that I was given this gift for a season, that I get to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and now that opportunity is fading away. Praise be to God. My purpose has been fulfilled. My joy is now complete. And so that's John, and here's the deal. The party is not about us. The party is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. Verse 28, he says, You yourselves bear, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Hey, I don't live here. Like, I go through seasons where I could, I could say these things, but honestly, I deal with this. Circumstances uh, cause different reactions to me. Like uh, I'd live in that area where my circumstances matter to me to a point where it it determines how I react at times. That's not what John the Baptist is doing here. As a matter of fact, he starts to sound a little bit like Jesus. He starts to use this parable. Starts talking about brides and bridegrooms and and weddings and and these kinds of things, and he uses this to explain something to his disciples, something that might sound a little bit foreign to us, like the response to John is, hey, um, let me tell you the story about a, a bride and a groom, uh, and then and, and my role in that, and the friend, and like he starts bringing up all these characters to tell us a story, and in this culture that we're reading in today, uh, the, the friend of the bridegroom is our modern day best man. Okay, and so in this culture, it was the responsibility of the best man to plan the wedding party, to like get this thing pulled off, right? Like he was the one to organize it uh, and to preside over the events. And so he would put it all together uh, and then he would be there to make sure that the party went well, like nothing went wrong. Um, And if the party was a disaster, it would be a reflection on the bridegroom as well as the friend of the bridegroom. So he would take equal amount of responsibility. And if the, if the party went well, if it went off without a hitch, um, then it would be a credit to the friend of the bridegroom as well. And so it was a direct reflection of how this bride, the friend of this bridegroom, um, how, he, how he was friends with this, this groom. And so the point of the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, the point in this culture was for him to point to the bridegroom and his bride. So that the whole party would celebrate what just happened. And so all of his planning, all of his efforts, all of his work um, was about that, was about seeing that on that day during that party that the bride and the bridegroom would be celebrated, right? And so now you can see where it's going. It wasn't his job to make it about himself, right? How sorry would that be like, yeah, hey guys, I'm the one who planned all of this. Like it's, you know, I did this. You know, he's he's lucky to have me as a friend, right? Like that's. So he's saying this. John was saying this is never my show to begin with. Like you guys, you guys don't understand this. You are reacting out of jealousy and and probably even blasphemy to say that I belong in that place. This is never about me. This party was never about me. How sad that we see this. We continue to see this today that we make it about ourselves. That we all it's a it's a me-centered theology where God's all about me and giving me mine and I'm receiving from him and on and on and on. And, and it's never a Jesus-centered theology, but it's always a me-centered theology. And that's what these disciples, these, that's what they were, were struggling with here. And I, you know, just thinking through that story and, and how John used that parable, you know, I think for us it's, it's a lot like we tend to take the role of the, the, the best man at the wedding who's had a little bit too much to drink, Right? And somebody mistakenly gave him a microphone, uh, and, and, you know, while the, while the bride and the groom is trying to have their first dance, this guy's going on making inappropriate comments on the microphone. Like, that's, and it's all about, hey, look at me. It's all about, hey, I, I want to be funny. I want to be noticed. I want to be important. I want to be the center, right? And, and so that's the kind of attitude that we, that we have thinking about that story. And this even happens whenever we engage the Word. And I had to learn this the hard way, too. When we engage the Word of God, you take like the typologies of Christ that we see all throughout the Old Testament. right? The whole, the whole Old Testament, by the way, if you didn't know, is about pointing to Christ. And so every character or every person that you see, every story that you read, is meant to be about Jesus. And so you get to like a Hebrews chapter 11, and they're going to give us a, a laundry list of heroes of the faith, people who, who ended their their lives well and faithful people that, that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews was recognizing. And so we would tend to take uh, the life of Abraham and let's give 10 reasons how you can live a faithful and obedient life like Abraham. And we would, we would do damage there. We would not be doing well. We, we, we're taking, we're taking the, the, the center, we're taking Jesus out of the center of that and we're putting something else there. Let's talk about David and how uh, he was a man after God's own heart, you know, and and so be a David. No, don't, be like David, that's fine, but understand that that only comes through the power of Jesus, and the point was that that David (laughs) is a typology, right, and the whole story, the whole goal of all of these heroes of the faith, all these people that we read about in the Old Testament, all these stories, it was never meant to mimic the behaviors and attitudes of these people that we read about. The... the, 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 the I won't go there. We, we, I, I'm going to move on. I don't want to get hung up in too many places. The goal was always to show you that God can use broken and sinful people. He can always use broken and sinful people. So you see all throughout... So Abraham... Um, yeah, he, he murdered people, right? David murdered people, committed adultery. Like you could take all of these heroes of the faith and you would see that, man, they had some junk going on in their life too. Like they, you know, they, had, they weren't always just faithful, perfect people. So the point is that we see that and we say, man, God can use anybody to do amazing things. And God can use you to do the same, And so that's the whole point. And so what we would tend to do is make it a me-centered theology and say, no, no, no. It's about Jesus. Jesus has accomplished these things. You tap into that. You tap into that, and and, and then the kingdom will advance. Then the gospel will go forth. Then people will, will know joy. They will know satisfaction. They will know peace. Full and complete joy is found when Jesus is the center of our story. Only. Nothing else, no one else. So, whatever's at the middle of your story right now—if it's you, if it's a circumstance that you're involved in, or if it's some whatever that whatever's in the middle of your story now—it needs to be Christ. That's where you will experience ultimate and complete joy. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is the center of the story. He's been been there since the beginning. He's at the center of the story, and he should be at the center of our story. He created all things, and all things were created for him. So wine and food are not meant to point to wine and food. Right? Like, sunsets, landscapes are not about sunsets and landscapes. Marriage is not about marriage. Kids are not about kids. You understand that all was created by Him, through Him, and for Him. It's all meant to point to Jesus. So the next time you see a a beautiful, picturesque scene uh, where the sun is setting... Uh, it's not meant for you to say, oh, that's so beautiful. It's meant for you to worship God. The next time you, you put something delicious in your mouth and you and, and you enjoying it, it's meant for you to praise God. It's not meant for you to say, oh, I want more. It's just so good. It's, that's not the point. Everything that has been named exists for Jesus, and it's meant to point to him. And so we are put into this story and then we begin thinking it's about us, right? That's, this, this is my story. This is, this is about me. Uh, it's about something that I'm going through. It's about something that I'm experiencing. It becomes about me. So thank you for the story, God, of John the Baptist that amidst all of his current circumstances, he's laser focused on Jesus. Like, yeah, all of my followers are going away. My best disciples have gone. It's just us here now. No one's following us anymore. Look, there he is. That's the reason. That's the, that's the reason. That was the purpose. That was the whole point of this whole thing. So amidst his circumstances, he's keeping his eyes and his focus on Jesus. He's keeping Jesus at the center of it all. And that's how he can say, this joy of mine is now complete. That's how he, that's how he can say that. And say, so I've already said it once here that I love what God's doing. I love that he lets me be a part of this. But the minute that we take our eyes off of Jesus, I pray that he would shut this whole thing down. The minute that we start making it about us or something else, I pray that he would shut it down, that it would stop immediately. As bad as that might hurt me, you know, I, I, I really pray that, that's what, that we would remain faithful to, to keeping Jesus at the center of everything, the center of our lives. Let's be a band of nobodies in the kingdom of God. Let's be no names in the kingdom of God. And let me close with this. Verse 30, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Translated, more Jesus, more joy. More Jesus, more joy more joy the more we see jesus the more our joy increases the more we know jesus the more our joy increases decreasing doesn't mean that your life goal has to be you have to reduce yourself to nothing right that's not what that's not exactly what he's saying you don't you don't ever get to become who you were fully made to be like you don't you're never going to you're never going to make it to that point of fulfilling your ultimate purpose if Jesus isn't the center of your life. And I know that sounds like a broad statement and and like a, a, a five ways to live better kind of statement, but it's so true that you will never accomplish your full purpose and your full potential until Jesus is the center of your life and that he's your complete treasure. And that's just, I'm being, listen, you don't become less of yourself the more you know Jesus. You become more of yourself, of who you are, of who you were purposed to be, the more of Jesus that you have. And so what must decrease? What John's saying here, I must decrease, he must increase. My flesh must decrease. My pride must decrease. My plans, that's a tough one for us. My plans must, whatever I've got planned, those must become Reduced to nothing in light of who Jesus is and whatever he's got planned, that's now my plans. My name must be reduced so that Jesus' name can be increased. So that he might increase. Joy is what we're always after. Every sinful act that we indulge ourselves in is a quest for joy. You understand that? That every sinful thing that I participate in is me trying to find enjoyment, to try to find satisfaction, to try to find fulfillment. And it doesn't come from anything else but Jesus. And so he has to be at the center of all of those. He has to be there. Or we'll continue to stumble and to fall and to give ourselves over to those things that do not ultimately satisfy, that do not ultimately fulfill, do, do not ultimately give me Enjoyment. It leaves me empty. So, our quest for joy can lead us to sin or it can lead us to the Savior, right? It's putting Jesus at the center of all of our source of joy. And I believe that if there were more Jesus, in our city that there would be more joy right but it, but it it's got to start with this right here if, because I believe the same thing that if there's more Jesus here then there's going to be more joy here and so that's where it's got to start personally so this this picture of John the Baptist um, is is a cue for us to know where our joy is found, where our satisfaction, where our fulfillment is found. And so my prayer, and I, as I've prepared, I've had, to, I've had to repent of some things because um, especially for, for weeks and weeks and weeks of not being in community with people, you can easily let your heart find its uh, fulfillment and satisfaction and, and frivolous things, things that don't matter. Um, things that put me at the center. And so I, I've had to do that, and I would pray that, um, well, I, l- let me just do this. Let's just take a time of prayer, of personal prayer, uh, and I'll have the band come up, and then, then we will, um, we'll be led, but we're just going to take some time for you to pray personally about discovering where your current, what your current situation and your circumstance is, and, and, and pray about Jesus being it, in the middle of that story, in the middle of those circumstances. So let's pray. Father, would you be with us in this time? Would you, would you invade our hearts? Would you shine a light in dark spots in our hearts? God, would you lovingly lead us to a place where we see where our peace is currently being sought after, where our joy is, where we're chasing after satisfaction and enjoyment in all the wrong uh, places? Father, I would pray in this time that, Father, you would do that in my own heart. that you would search me and know my heart. And God, would you examine me? Would you examine us? And God, would you lead us toward repentance? Would you lead us to the way everlasting? Father, for some, for some of us, um, God, we just need peace in our life. For others of us, God, there's someone that we have, to, we have to build up the gumption to go and forgive for something that they've done to us. God, I would pray that your spirit would cause us to empty our hearts of the sin that so easily entangles us. The sin of bitterness, of resentment, of jealousy, self centeredness. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus to know that all of these things have been washed at the cross, that He's blotted out our sin and he's given us his righteousness. Thank you for such a gift. God, would he, would he be the center of our lives? Would he be the center of our today and our tomorrow? Thank you for loving us so much. And your son Christ so willingly gave his life for us. we ask all these things in his name. Amen.